It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. LMFM Podcasts with CNC Carpets. We bring the showroom to you. Or you can book a personal consultation at our fabulous new showroom in Moortown, Dramiskin. Call 087-660-40-237 or visit our website at cnccarpets.com to book an appointment. CNC Carpets, for all your carpet and wood flooring needs. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie Friday morning, the 9th of December. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. Uh, new ambulance bypass protocol of our Ladies Hospital in Navan is due to come into effect from Monday. That is, as we understood it, up until this morning at least. Indeed, two government ministers told the doll as much on Wednesday of uh, this week, but were told that there has been a significant development overnight. Let's hear about that from uh, the Minister for European Affairs, Thomas Byrne, who's a Fianna Fáil TD for Meath Good morning, Minister. What can you tell us? Well, good morning, Michael. Well, look, I mean, you've obviously had a lot of discussion on this issue over the last week. The Minister for Health um, and HSE have made an announcement about what is supposed to be uh, a very small uh, change in the ambulance protocol in terms of who would uh, not be brought to Navin Hospital by, by ambulance. And what the Minister said and what the HSE said was that that would be people who are critically or seriously ill uh, or likely to, to deteriorate. Now, I was uh, making some phone calls yesterday just in relation to, to hospital issues, just following up on, on different things, and it came to my attention from HSE officials um, that, in fact, the ambulance protocol which issued yesterday uh, went significantly wider than that. Um, now, I'm not medically qualified, I'm not medically expert, but it was advised to me that on the reading of this, uh, that it was significantly wider than what the minister had agreed. And I was quite surprised and quite shocked by this because uh, it's a very, very sensitive issue, not just for people's concerns about hospital services, but it's also a sensitive issue because we as politicians and as leaders have to get this right. We have to make sure that we're not transferring risk from one hospital to another. And that's the last thing any of us want to do. Um, so yesterday evening when this became apparent to me after speaking to, to various HSE officials, um, I contacted the Minister for Health uh, and to say the least, he was surprised by this, uh, to say the least. Um, and he then was in touch uh, with, um, as I understand it, the Chief Executive of the HSE and various very senior HSE officials about this uh, and made it very clear to them that this is not what the government had agreed 
uh, and it's not something that we could stand over. Um, now, that's late last night, um, and my understanding was that the Minister got a renewed commitment from the HSE that this would be uh, changed to to reflect what the government had agreed. I mean, that's, that's what they have to do. Like, it's not, not that we need a commitment, they have to do this. Um, and that this will be sort of followed up this morning in terms of meetings and in terms of getting this right, because we have to get this right. I mean, my priority all along in this is to stay out of the, the froth, trying to stay uh, above the anger, which I can understand, um, but to make sure that what we do and what the government does is that we get the best possible healthcare for people who are critically or seriously ill. And that means not moving them to the Lourdes if the Lourdes is not capable uh, of, 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 of dealing with them or doesn't have the resources to do that. And that's uh, still this morning uh, a very serious concern of mine. Okay. Um, how did this happen? Uh, we were told that the minister had signed off on this protocol. Well, but, but not on that protocol. No, we had not. Absolutely not. Not what was issued. I mean, what the minister had, had agreed to uh, was that critically or seriously ill patients are those who are likely to deteriorate. That's the language that he had agreed to. And I went through that with him last night again. So he absolutely did not sign off on this protocol. Uh, it came, as I understand it, from the National Ambulance Service. And I think what's going to happen today is uh, that the National Ambulance Service is going to have discussions with the, with the hospitals involved. We have to get this right. Um, and again, I, I I always hate injecting myself into an issue which is medically, which is where the, the medics, and I, I, as you know, I give great deference to doctors. But at the end of the day, we have political responsibility um, and democratic responsibility to make sure uh, that this is right and that there's not this is not going to cause follow-up problems in Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital that would transfer one risk to another. So was there a protocol that the minister signed off on? Uh, No, the minister didn't sign off on the text, but absolutely not. Um, But but did he sign off on a text for a protocol? No, I mean, no. I mean, look, that's an operational matter for the HSE. So the HSE do that. But what was... The minister then discusses things. I mean, the minister has a bird's-eye view over everything that's gone on. But I have to say, in this case... Uh, after my phone call, the minister was in touch with uh, local management, with senior HSE officials. We want to get this right. Was he not in, in touch with local management and senior officials? He was yesterday, and then no, before that. This, oh, he was, yeah, yeah, and absolutely. Before uh, this protocol came out uh, yesterday, sorry, uh, and was it not made clear that. to him what was being proposed? Because I, I, sorry, he was he was speaking to management yesterday and to HSE and had understood that this was. Fine. The protocol, as I understand it, hadn't actually issued from the HSE at that point. Well, there's, a protocol, there's a protocol that was issued, which was to come into effect on Wednesday. Uh, that yeah. uh, uh, that uh, was uh, substituted with a, a, a second protocol, uh, which was uh, the only difference, no. as I understood it, was that it was to come into effect from Monday. Uh, no, but it was Wednesday, exactly the same protocol. Well, the, 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 the Wednesday issue is a different issue. I mean, it's, it's, No, but it's, it's the same uh, protocol. The dates changed. No, but the minister did not sign off on the, on the protocol. Or certainly, look, I mean, as, as the minister was talking to management yesterday afternoon before he went to Brussels, um, he... Did the minister not brief the cabinet on this? He did. And what he briefed the cabinet on was that people who were critically or seriously ill or likely to deteriorate uh, would, would, not be, uh, would not be brought to Navin. That's what he briefed the cabinet on. That was what we had agreed to. What had actually transpired yesterday afternoon, the minister was just out of out of action for a couple of hours. He was on his way to Brussels. A protocol issued uh, that, in our view, and in the view of certainly people in the HSE, goes beyond that. 
and that's that's not that's not right. So there's okay, I have the protocol. I have the protocol that was uh, to be made effective on Wednesday of next week in front of me. Uh, uh, that was put it aside uh, for another protocol that was to replace it which was to be implemented from Monday what's the The difference what's what's the the difference the Monday and Wednesday issue the Monday and Wednesday issue is just an operational thing okay but but what's what's the difference between the two protocols well I I don't have I don't have I don't have them in front of me here um, what I'm I'm saying is the protocol well as I understand it they're exactly the same yeah yeah. and are you saying that the minister didn't see these protocols well I, I, I they're, they're certainly not what the minister agreed. Um, the protocol. No, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on a second here. Did the minister see the protocols, or did the minister not see the protocol? Uh, you'd have to ask the minister that, but I mean, we. The, the well, you were speaking issue. to him last night. This yeah, is yeah. the this is the minister who approved the protocol. The, the the national ambulance service issues the protocol. That's an operational matter. That 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 the action on that is left to the medical experts. Let's be honest. No, we no, we, we no. approve what we approve. No, I'm not. No, please, Min- minister, minister. Um, you you remember uh, towards the end of June, uh, the minister intervened and paused uh, the downgrading of uh, the hospital, uh, and said that there would be no action taken until after the review group had reported. Uh, and then we were told that there was a, a, a protocol which would see a further downgrading of the hospital and that that had been approved by the minister. The, the, what the minister has approved is a minor, what, what, sorry, what we envisaged would be a minor change to the ambulance protocol which already... Did he not there. read the document? The document the document issued yesterday was not what he agreed to. And that's as simple as that. The document, uh, the document brought, issued yesterday this, is identical to the one that was issued two weeks ago. I brought, I brought this. The, 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 document, the document that has issued is not what we agreed. And there was, yesterday, we were told that every, the hospitals were happy, people could work with this, and then yesterday evening, that changed. Now, I still haven't got to the bottom of this, and the minister still hasn't got to the bottom of this. I mean, this is phone calls last night. But okay. the bottom line is on Tuesday. Bottom line is on Tuesday. The minister, sorry, can senior. I just, can I just, okay. Okay. Can I just be clear on this? The minister has asked the chief executive of the HSE, the head of the National Ambulance Service, various other parties at high levels of the HSE, to meet with hospital management to make sure that this is fully agreed, and that Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital can absolutely say that it can cope with what has been asked of. Well, it absolutely said otherwise, and it did so in writing in a letter to the minister. Uh, on Thursday of last week and, and now the Minister is responding because he gets a call from a politician. Uh, he ignored the medics. The medics then met with uh, HSE. Medics, so the politician who's me was yes. talking to people who are involved with this. Yes, but the Minister ignored the medics. I don't accept that at all. What happened since the letter to the Minister? Uh, what, I'll tell you exactly what happened since the letter to the Minister. Two government ministers went into the doll and said it's going ahead regardless. Uh, before they did that, the consultant body in the Lords met with management uh, and nothing changed. So on Tuesday, Michael McGrath and Mary Butler went into the doll and said this is going ahead. What, what was agreed by the Minister for Health? And this is what the Taoiseach Did the Minister for Health not know what he agreed? He does, and what the Taoiseach said in the doll was that this is to address, and I'll read it exactly because I have the notes. Well, well, well let, 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 let me save you the bother. Um, we, we can hear what the Taoiseach had to say. This is yeah. Michal Martin speaking in the doll on the 30th of November. The situation in terms of the ambulance, um, 
uh, roster and so on, um, that, that that's constitutes um, closure. I, I've put it to you that patients who are acutely ill should go to the hospital that guarantees them the best outcome. We have to be patient-focused. I would just put that to you very strongly. Uh, and that, that, that would be something. And also, I think you need to... We need to be... My understanding is Our Lady's Hospital in Avon has not been successful in securing full-time consultant cover in the emergency department. My understanding is that there's currently a registrar 9-to-5 cover. Consultant provides out-of-hours cover. There are four emergency department registrar posts which have not been filled. Uh, this has resulted in the use of locum staff. I mean, these are, these are important issues that need to be aired, in my view. And it, but, 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 no, but, but no, that's not the case, actually. Yeah. There's, a, there's a whole range of reasons why certain hospitals, because of size, uh, nature, and so on like that, that, that will, uh, will dictate to a large extent outside of the control of any authority where Time uh, is up, Taoiseach. No, thank you. All right. Uh, the Taoiseach was making it clear it's in the interest of patient safety. Uh, that was yeah. a statement made to the National Parliament, followed up by two subsequent statements from a senior minister and a junior minister saying that this protocol is going ahead. What is yes. going on? And the protocol, and just to be absolutely clear, the protocol, and this certainly is what the Taoiseach um, was advised of, what Minister Donnelly was advised of, all of us were advised of, the protocol was being updated to address urgent patient safety matters for patients who are critically or seriously unwell or likely to deteriorate and the hospital is not closing. Um, that's what we agreed to. That's what politicians signed off on. That's what the hospitals signed off on locally. What what's happening, what's happening on Monday? Well, it's Wednesday now. It's, that's, again, that's, that's a separate issue. That okay, Wednesday. so nothing is happening on Wednesday. There's a what, new... The, New the, protocol. The Minister, Health, the Minister for Health, in conversations, not just with me last night, I mean, I brought this to his attention, but in conversations with the HSE and local management as well, in fact, the Minister wants this issue resolved this morning. We can stand over that. We think medically, safety, we can stand over that. This will get people the best possible care. Would anybody but, believe the Minister at this stage in relation to this issue? Sorry, I mean, we have a situation here where, as Deputy as Senator Castle has outlined, I mean, the HSC have already outlined phase one and two and nothing was agreed by the government. They've now come in with this ambulance Hello. protocol mm, that no. wasn't agreed by the government. Minister, with, with respect to you, um, let's just take a, a, a moment to look at the facts and what has happened and more to the point, what has not happened since November of last year when the Minister was notified in writing. And has been notified on at least three occasions in writing by staff in Our Lady's Hospital in Navan that people were lucky to survive because the hospital was not equipped to deal with them. And that it was only a matter of time before somebody died in the hospital. That is a matter of fact. That went to the minister. Uh, I presume the minister read that correspondence and was aware of it. Since November of last year, the minister has done nothing in lieu of any action being taken by the Minister, the HSE moved to close the emergency department in Our Lady's Hospital in Navan at the end of June. There was political uproar and in response to the political concerns, the Minister decided to ignore the medical expertise and decided to keep that unit open knowing that there was a risk to life Additionally, he failed to do anything to shore up 
that deficit in services to make sure that patients would be safe, to invest, to build up the hospital or to do something if he wasn't going to close it down. We're now in December. We're now in December, Minister. And the HSE then proposed to the Minister that he uh, divert some patients to the Lourdes. The hospital consultants in the Lourdes say this is not unsafe. Uh, They more or less said to the Minister, you don't want to have blood on your hands. The hospital consultant said, if you go ahead with this, it is so unsafe and we are so under-resourced, ill-prepared for this, that somebody may die and may die unnecessarily. The Minister didn't respond to that letter of Thursday last week. The consultants then met with the HSE on Monday. Nothing changed. On Tuesday, Minister Michael McGrath went into the Dáil and Minister Mary Butler went into the Dáil and said this protocol is going ahead. The Minister has done nothing in between then and today until last night a call from a politician yourself and with respect to you Minister I'm sure you'll agree with me you have no medical expertise but you said to the Minister this is not what is being agreed politically so the Minister went oh okay Uh, we have to look after the political end of this. No, no, where, no. where is the duty of care to patients in this country from the Minister for Health? Well, I can be absolutely clear, and I've listened to all these attacks you've put, and I'm going to answer them, Michael. We have absolutely no plan to move the risk from one hospital to another. Our first concern, and you know that my first concern throughout all of this, is to stay out of the battle uh, that has been going on politically, is to ensure patient safety and quality and making sure that services are there. Um, the, the hospital is staying open because it's because it needs to. We have we don't want tug of war between the two. The ambulance protocol was agreed and advised to the minister by the board of the HSE that this should happen on patient safety concerns, regardless of everything else. And they gave very very clear language to that. The minister agreed to that. There was no political pressure on that. The political pressure was the opposite. The political pressure was not to do this, including raising it in the dog by opposition politicians. The Minister authorised that this would go ahead. And what we found last night was, when when they go ahead with this, that it's actually beyond what the HSE uh, advised the Minister. Well, and contrary to, contrary to what you said uh, about investment in the hospital, I mean, I'm going down to to see there's a new war no, in, the, no in the emergency department minister let's not get bogged down on that silly argument no 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 the, the question's over the emergency department minister uh, and uh, from what you've said it's very clear that either minister Stephen Donnelly was misled by the HSE or he didn't read his brief we've been contacted by Aang Tews Peter Tobin who's on the line what do you make of all of this Peter Tobin well I think it's absolutely shocking uh, we have a, a situation where the minister for health and minister Thomas Byrne are being laughed at by the HSE in relation to this. There is absolute confusion in what's, what's going on in relation to the A&E in Navan and Drogheda at the moment. Uh, we had, obviously, in June, the HSE saying they were going to close on the 30th of June. The minister saying that he did not agree to that, and then that being changed. Then we had the HSE release documents last week, which said that the A&E uh, a bypass would come into place for Navan A&E on Monday. Then the minister said he hadn't agreed to that, um, and then the minister going on the records to say that he had agreed to a, a slimmed down version of that bypass. And then I get a document yesterday uh, from the uh, ambulance personnel, which shows that it's not a slimmed down bypass. It's exactly the same uh, bypass that was originally uh, initiated. And actually, the only people they're still allowed to bring to Navanini are those people with minor injuries. And it says that in black and white. Um, and I sent that document to Shane Castles yesterday and I said, will you get back onto the minister 
and say the minister is being played again by the HSC. The HSC have no respect for uh, Minister Stephen Donnelly in this, and unless he pulls them up and makes an example of them, we're simply going to have the same rubbish going on over and over again. And the cost of this is 11 ambulances waiting outside of Drogheda Hospital, seven consultants in Drogheda saying this is a danger to patient safety. Now, four consultants in, in Mullingar Hospital have added their names to that list. And, you know, we, we have ministers who are meant to be representing this county at sea with regards to people's health. It's an absolute disgrace what's happening. Thomas Byrne, and at sea? I don't accept this at all. I mean, I want to stay out of the politics. If Papa wants to bring politics into it, maybe explain oh, to people. For God's sake, Thomas. Will you get a grip, Thomas? For God's sake, people's lives are danger here because of this yeah, mess. And you're the one, you're the one who keeps raising these fears. And you did that, by the way, when the stroke protocol came in. You, you had a meeting, you rallied the people in Mead, you protested. And yet in the doll two weeks ago, you told Thomas, the people... Thomas, there's 11 with the stroke protocol. I draw a hospital on Saturday. This is not raising fear. This is exactly what you've done. And why did you tell the Taoiseach in that exchange in the Dáil when the Taoiseach was speaking that you accepted the stroke protocol? I, I can't take this seriously anymore from Padre Tobin. I'm not happy with what the HSE has done. I'm making that very, very clear. The Minister for Health is not happy. We've told them to go back to the drawing board this morning on it. This became apparent when... Minister, before I brought Padre Tobin uh, in, uh, I made a, a point which maybe you want to respond to because it seems clear, very clear to me from everything you've said this morning, that either the minister was misled by the HSE or the National Ambulance Service, or he didn't read his brief. Well, I can tell you, just to be absolutely clear, we're still looking into this. But what came out from the National Ambulance Service yesterday was not what the minister had agreed and was not what, what we have been advised by the HSE. Patrick Tobin says it's identical. It's, it's not. It's not. What we, what we agreed to was that patients who would be critically, and I have this in front of me, critically or seriously unwell or likely to deteriorate. That is what we agreed. That, In fact, that is what the minister emphasised to the chief executive of the HSE last night as well. So do that you believe that the minister agreed. was misled? Well, th- this will have to be looked into yesterday. I mean, this became, this became apparent yesterday when this issued. The minister had understood yesterday that hospitals were happy. The, I... I I'm absolutely categorical. Do you accept that this is a monumental mess? And, and one, one that we as politicians, as ministers, have the responsibility to sort out on behalf of the patient. And that's exactly what I'm doing. Rather than coming on attacking Padre Tobin or attacking anybody, we want to get to the bottom of this and make sure that we have a safe patient service for everybody in this region. Padre Tobin. The HSE are ignoring the minister. The HSE expect the minister to be shifted out of his job in, in the next two weeks. And they've ignored him over and over again in the, in the last uh, year. We had the, the former head of the HSC, Reid, go on live radio and said the minister's wrong and they're proceeding anyways. This is an inversion of democracy. Democracy what? functions when the people that we elect tell the, the, the public servants what to do. But, but, but the public but, 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 are ignoring the, the elected representatives in this case. But how could they do that? How the could they do that? How is, there a, how is there a protocol that you've seen, Thomas Byrne, that the minister didn't see? Because those types of protocols are issued operationally by the HSC. But how did you see it? Because I was talking, in fact, I, I had understood it was coming on your radio show. There's another story, and, and I am as it happens. Uh, and I was talking to hospital management on both sides. And I'm not, I'm not, I wasn't happy with what I heard. And then you brought it to the attention of the minister who has there, ultimate there responsibility. Was, there was a lot of disquiet, there was a lot of disquiet within the HSE 
when this protocol issued. And I share that disquiet, and the minister does as well. Oh, and the minister why was contact. the minister? Why was the minister not aware of it? I, I assume because the HSE is a separate entity. We agree with this. They then operationalise everything. The minister doesn't get involved in every single document that comes out from the HSE. But we had left it at this, that this would happen. Do you know what? I, I, I swear to God, I'm absolutely despondent. I cannot believe what you're telling us this morning, that there was all this uproar. And you were aware of it. You heard it. You were getting it left, right and centre. And the minister was away in Brussels and had no he had, indication sorry, of what was going on. Absolutely. Absolutely clear. The minister was in contact with people for a lot of yesterday about this particular issue, including last night. Okay, that's what happened. The protocol issued. Now, I don't know was there a mistake made in the HSE, but it is not what the minister agreed in terms of what what went out. Can can, can I come in there, please? Just, you know, Thomas is talking about sharing disquiet, being in contact with people. In the meantime, and the practical reality is that the drivers of ambulances are getting a specific document in black and white telling them what to do. Now, that ambulance driver is, being, is employed by the HSC. Their job is on the line if they don't fulfil it. So all the disquiet, all the contacting of by Minister uh, Thomas Byrne or Don Lee, it's not going to make a whit of difference. There is a dangerous dereliction of duty by the ministers in relation to what's happening in Mead and Loud. And now we have a situation where, you know, it's just it's just incredible that a, okay. the car, a car park for ambulances is what's happening in Drogheda. Well, what we have We're this morning, what we have this morning is a, what we have this morning is a cloud of confusion. Correct me if I'm wrong, Minister, but there's an awful lot that needs to be clarified, isn't there? Yes, ab- yeah. absolutely. Mm. There's a lot yeah. to be has to be clarified, and the HSE have to clarify that. That's why the minister has asked them as a matter of urgency this morning to sort this out and okay. do what was agreed, okay. which is. People who are critically or seriously unwell or likely to deteriorate okay. wouldn't go to an avenue, they would go to Our Lady of Lourdes instead. Okay. And also, in terms of the investment point, Michael, oh, that, the beds, that the beds that are required, which is a minimum of extra five beds in the Lourdes and 20 beds in Navin, would be available to facilitate this. Okay. That All has right. to happen too. Minister, and that's really, really uh, Minister and Patter, I'm over time. I'm, you know, God, I'm, going to, I'm going to lose my job if we keep but, but talking. But Patter needs to be asked why he now supports the stroke protocol that he called meetings and protests on in early 2020. He told the teacher in the doll that he was happy with it. I mean, this, 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 we just have to take are, 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 are you happy with it, yes or no, Patter Tobey? Please. We are willing to live with this. this okay, I, I'm sorry, but yeah, I, 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 I'm sorry. I really have. The, the, I think we actually well, threw the clock out the window this morning. We're all completely over time and beyond, and I have to leave there. But thank you both. Indeed, a lot of confusion. Uh, I think we'll be hearing more about this today and over the weekend, and I'm sure next week. But thanks indeed uh, to Minister of State Thomas Byrne of Finnfall TD for me the East and Ain Two founder and leader uh, Patrick Toby. Michael Reed on LMFM. All right, uh, we're going to stay with that issue. Uh, we'd uh, planned uh, to speak uh, with uh, the Mayor of Drogheda and uh, the Mayor of Navan uh, this morning because, as you know, the protocol was uh, to come into effect from Monday. Something other than what we thought was going to happen apparently is going to happen on Wednesday. Uh, we have the Mayor of Drogheda on uh, the line. Uh, good morning to you, Michelle. Uh, Michelle Hall, uh, a very good morning to you, and thank you indeed, Labour Party Councillor, and uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, unfortunately, uh, we got a, a call from Edward Fennessy just before we came on air to say that uh, he's too busy, as it turns out, to join us uh, this morning. Um, protests were planned uh, for Monday. Uh, were, were they going to have the support of the Mayor's office? That's the uh, uh, protest outside of the Lords, obviously. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it's it's just a sad state of affairs. Uh, you just kind of wonder where is the patient at the centre of all of this, Michael? Um, and then the frontline services as well. There's a huge stress that they must be under uh, dealing with this, not knowing from day to day. Is there a protocol? Is there not going to be a protocol? I really do uh, feel for the staff and uh, for patients who are worried at home, wondering, should I pick up the phone at all and ring 999? Like, what's going to be the state of affairs? So um, I'm actually due to be in Belfast on Monday, uh, ironically, at a health and social care workshop, uh, part of the Peace Plus funding, um, where there's going to be like cross-border talks on how we can implement uh, further changes and further cooperation. But uh, if there's a protest at Lord's Hospital, I would be outside it, yeah. Okay. Um, Do you understand what's going on or do you understand how it's being handled? Uh, well, you can you can hear there. We have a senior minister there, the minister of state for European affairs, not even anything to do with health, and he's telling uh, the minister for health, uh, "Sorry, something's going wrong here at the HSC. Uh, I think there is obviously something wrong with the system here. Lack of communication uh, between the HSC and Minister Donnelly, and it just seems dysfunctional altogether. Um, and again, I really do feel for." Uh, for the staff that have to deal with this, the paramedics who are making those life-changing uh, decisions for patients at a time, and they're wondering where will it go? Do we go to the Lords? Do we go to Navin? Do we go to Blanchetown? No matter where they go, really, though, um, Michael's point is the HSE, the system, the health system, is at nearly a point of collapse, and we're not even into the really serious winter um, virus season yet. Uh, I really do worry uh, going forward how are the, the services and emergency departments going to be able to deal with all this crisis um, What do you think uh, about the consultant body, the consultant doctors in Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital uh, taking the time to sit down and express their concerns, it has to be said in uh, the strongest possible terms, directly to the Minister for Health uh, and that yeah, I- Yeah, I believe, like, you know, the the agency can be, you know, have their heart in the right place in saying that uh, the the protocol should be best practice. And best practice is that the Lourdes is the best place uh, for patients. But in the reality and in the actual practice of uh, running a hospital, the consultants know that it isn't, that they're severely understaffed, Mm. that they haven't got the beds that there hasn't been an expansion of capacity, that there's a huge turnover of staff, and that this is almost like a pandemic even in the system itself. Um, So the consultants should be the first person that people that are consulted and listened to. And then the minister should take on board all of those those, uh, opinions and then make the decision for himself as the Minister for Health. But what I was Um, going to actually ask you was, what do you think of of how their letter was ignored, or at least it wasn't responded to by the Minister for Health? What happened instead was a meeting was set up with local management. Uh, And what happened after that? Well, uh, God knows, but in but but in reality, but in reality, but but in reality, nothing happened, Michelle. uh, uh, And the protocol was to go ahead, and two ministers told the doll that this week, uh, uh, and all of it was full steam ahead. It seems until Thomas Byrne rang Stephen Donnelly last night and said, "You know, I'm taking the heat on this." 
Yeah, yeah, it's it's ridiculous, though it is. I mean, this isn't, as I say, anything new. Um, you've ha- heard before from frontline staff that they're not being listened to in the hospitals, and that's why we have a huge amount of turnover. Um, we had last year in term second, we actually had an International Women's Day event, and we had um, Fatima Hamrush at it, and she was an ophthalmologist in the Lourdes Hospital, and she had constantly looked for the best equipment, the best practice uh, spoke to HSC management and just could not get the things that she needed. And she left. So a woman with a huge amount of experience left. She still has her own private practice, but the frustration of dealing her front line, her expertise, and she cannot deal with the management in the HSC. I mean, that's a huge problem that is all across the board, that they're not listening to frontline staff. I mean, if you look at the paramedics, we had a presentation recently from um, the chief ambulance officer. I'm on the regional health board, uh, okay. the health forum um, for the northeast, yeah. and you know it's quite scary to look at the the needs of the paramedics that we need. Oh, huge amount the amount of paramedics to deal with the demand. Uh, and the amount of recruitment or the lack of recruitment really that is going on, it would be 2050 mm. by the time that we actually get the amount of recruits that we need. Last year, or shall I say this year, there was only 17 graduates for the paramedics course in the northeast and 23, I think, in the east. Uh, we need at least 10 times that amount. We are losing uh, and that's before, that's before. all over the place. Yeah, yeah that's before Sorry. this protocol, yeah. Um, and uh, that's um, before yeah, the protocol, yeah, so yeah, it is. Yeah. And okay. also the target times as well for the ambulance. If, you know, they're supposed to be a 30 minute target time responses. At the moment, it's at least an hour, so it is. Okay, we, hour, we, we ran so much over uh, yeah. on the first interview that I have to cut it short now, Michelle. I'm sorry. Well, I hope the Minister Donnelly is listening and I hope that he has a solution for this. Um, and I hope he has a long term solution because really uh, short term solutions are not working for the health service in Ireland whatsoever. We need better pay for our frontline services and we need graduate programmes that are uh, expanded huge amount mm. so that we can have the nurses, doctors and paramedics that we actually need in this country. Thank you very Thank much you for uh, having me on this morning. Thank, Thank you, you indeed. That's the Mayor of Drogheda, Michelle Hall. Michael Reed on LMFM. So much reaction uh, to this issue about the ambulance protocol. Just a few of the comments. Michael, the HSE wouldn't organise a pee up in a brewery. Let the government get someone who runs a corporate company. People with organised organisational knowledge. That's Margaret. Uh, a text then from uh, someone who says one thing very clear, Michael, in all this Navin Hospital debacle is that Minister Donnelly's position is now totally untenable. He has been bypassed at every decision and obviously from what has gone on on your programme this morning he has no say in what is happening the bottom line here is uh, that they are playing with people's lives thank you very much indeed Uh, very hard to argue with that comment one thing is for sure there's an awful lot of confusion and that confusion will have to be cleared up today or over the weekend Carmel MacDonald says uh, we listened to to Micheál Martin speaking in the Dáil last week and she says in regard to that any hospital that is being gradually downgraded with the threat of closure of its A&E will face major recruitment challenges so that's what's happening in Navan but compare it to Port Leash which is now one of uh, the best hospitals in the country but 
threatened with closure in 2017. It demonstrates that proper resourcing is vital and solves problems. Uh, we'd uh, another text then from somebody who says, uh, leave the emergency department open and upgrade the hospital in Navan. Thanks, Deirdre, for that. Paddy Duffy says the debacle around Navan's A&E so far has been a farce, but unless the minister gets a handle on it, I'm afraid it's going to turn into a tragedy and sooner rather than later, he says. Helen McArdle says, I can't believe what I've been listening to on the radio this morning. One doesn't know what the other is doing. The government will have to uh, look at, at this closely or they'll have blood on their hands. She says, it's disgraceful. Uh, we'd a text then from Matthew who says, thanks for getting Thomas Byrne on. People can make up their minds after that. But Matthew thought the interview was shocking. Desi says, Thomas seems to be very unclear about what was approved. He seems to be trying to defend what he said that this, when he said that this wouldn't happen, he, he should get his facts right before coming on air. Uh, and another text then from somebody who says, oh God, where was Thomas for the last few years? What a U-turn twisting and turning the best I've heard on your show in years. Uh, and I can't believe what I am hearing. Thank you indeed if you have been in touch. If you haven't been in touch, as always, we'd love to hear from you. Our telephone number is 0419832000. You can text or WhatsApp 0861800658 and you can email michael at lmfm.ie. Now, as you've been hearing, the Taoiseach has said that something has to be done about dangerous breeds of dogs. All of thoughts of his um, Alejandro uh, and, and his family uh, and friends following what has been a, a horrific ordeal for that young child. Um, it's, it's quite shocking and I think all of us are very disturbed by what has transpired here and, and a degree of anger as well. You know? um, I don't understand why there's a need to own such breeds, such dangerous breeds. I think we should go back to the drawing board. Um, I don't have the full panoply of legislation that's in front of us but I do think we need to go back to the drawing board because what has happened is one child too many now um, and we all have pets uh, there's no need for this, in my, in my view, and it needs to be seriously examined. Um, and I revert to the Minister uh, in respect to this. You very whatever much. cross-departmental approach we can take, we should take. First thing is enforcement, and to make sure there's enforcement. The second issue is the whole area of what, what's driving this and why the necessity for it. Thank you. Time is up, Deputy. And uh, the Minister for Agriculture has uh, started that consultation with other departments. Uh, Charlie McConnellog uh, will report shortly, no doubt. Let's speak to Brian Rush, Deputy President of the IFA. And a very good morning to you, Brian, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme uh, this morning. Uh, do you concur with the Taoiseach when he says he, he doesn't understand why people would want these breeds as pets? Um. I would, on a personal level, I would, as a father of young children, would, yes. Um, like, we were dog owners ourselves at home, but... Uh... Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. 
wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Uh, I, I don't know what to drive in terms of owning restricted breeds, but... I suppose, first of all, I'd say my, just our thoughts are with, with, with Alejandro and his family, what it was a horrific attack. Uh, but the Taoiseach is quite right in, in, in calling out and recognising and asking, are the current laws being enforced? And we would feel that they're not, and they're not, they're not being enforced because the resources aren't there to enforce them. Um, and we see at a farm level that, you know, it's a regular occurrence now on farms where we're seeing dog attacks on sheep, uh, on, on, on livestock, cattle and sheep all too regular and it's because um, people aren't in full control of their dogs and the, the regulations and the laws aren't being enforced because there's a resource and issue there. Mm, and all dogs will do that. It's not just the dangerous breeds. Yeah. The smallest dogs in the world uh, can be involved in frightening sheep. Oh, absolutely. Um, and listen, and, and very often the response is when, pe- when someone finds out that their dog has been worrying sheep, oh, geez, my dog wouldn't do that. But the fact of the matter is dogs get into a pack mentality uh, if they're not used to sheep or whatever else, they, they, they get excited, they run away with themselves. And it, it does do a lot of damage to a flock, um, you know, in terms of maybe if there was, was losses to the sheep, to the number of sheep with the attack. But afterwards, like when after you worry sheep, you have abortions, you have lack of tribe. Mm. So it's an ongoing issue. Like once a farmer has a, life, um, a dog attack, it doesn't end when the dog goes. There's, a, there's an, a, an ongoing legacy there that has to be dealt with from a farmer's point of view. I take it most farmers have dogs. Oh, I'd say a lot of them do, mm. yeah. I'd yeah. say a lot of them. So a lot of farmers are working dogs. Mm. And, um, and you know, they're, they're handled well and handled responsibly. And, you know, the dogs are well trained. Um, and even, 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 like, even farmers' dogs, they don't leave them alone with livestock. You know, because there's a recognition there that you can't be watching them all the time. And, mm. you know, dogs might get carried away and excited. And I think that's like, so farmers are doing that. So people need to do that themselves. So yeah. when people are walking, even through commonage or parkland, they need to be in full control of their dog at all mm. times. Yeah. I, I was just uh, making the point because I, I'm sure all farmers uh, like yourself, Brian, uh, love uh, all of their animals, but love their dogs equally uh, as well. And a dog's a man's best friend. You hear from a, a lot of people saying it's not the fault of the dog, it's the fault of the owners. Is that a, a view that you uh, would hold? Or, or do you believe that some of these dogs are instinctively dangerous and are, are too dangerous uh, to humans to have as pets? I suppose it's that restricted is restricted for a very good reason, and um, and there is certain there's laws around how this should be handled and what should be done and how this should be managed, and those laws need to be enforced first of all. But then obviously there's non-restricted dogs and, and just the family pet, let's say, that would never be muzzled or that regularly be out out without a leash, but still should be in full control. But um, yeah, listen, it's up to the owners of the dogs to make sure that dog is never in a position to do damage. Is that and the problem? So I would, is, is yeah, that the, so, yeah. 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 And, and, and how, how, how do you overcome that problem? Listen, we would, the association, like, I won, like, last year, we were, last year and the year before, I think, 
our sheep, our sheep committee were driven to actually put signs up on their farm saying no dogs allowed. Yeah. So they banned people off the land because the experience has been that. And, you know, we've tried to, to, to you know, put that knowledge or put mm. that information out there. You cannot have a dog off a yeah. lead because once the dog And you'll shoot dying, dogs, you'll kill them, and with good reason, and rightly so, for the sake of saving your flock. It's happened, and yeah. it'll happen mm. again. Yeah. And, like, and people know that, but they still allow their dogs to roam. Yeah, well, sure, listen, and, and like, so where farmers are left with no choice only to do mm. that, if it's a shop a, to stop a worrying incident, they'll do that, and, and, and there is within, well within the right to do that mm. to protect their flock. But there's a, a dreadful attitude towards dogs by some people, and I really think it is a, a minority of people. I think most dog owners are responsible, I think most dog owners love their dogs, and I think most dog owners uh, follow all the rules, uh, and in the case of the dangerous breeds, uh, they're over 18, as you have to be by law, uh, they don't let anybody walk the dog unless they're over 16, which is the case by law. Uh, they make sure that they're on a, a short lead, which is the case by law, uh, and they make sure that they're muzzled. But there's a, sh- a small minority uh, who don't do that, and it's the same with every type of dog. The smallest of dog is allowed to walk down uh, the streets of our, our town and poo all over the place, and the owner seems to think it's funny and not their responsibility. It, it's the small amount of people who don't take responsibility that are causing all of these problems. Correct, yeah, but it'd be, and that's a resource and issue. So, like we would say, there needs to be um, like like the um, like people are meant to have to compulsory chip their dogs. They're meant to compulsory chip their dogs, but there's not enough enforcement to that. That we need more dog, dog wardens to enforce the laws. So, if we had more resources, enforcement would be less of an issue. We'd see more enforcement. I think that's key, and that's where we need to get the first step. Okay. And uh, how do you um, make sure that people are responsible, though, other than shipping? Because that results in a, a fine and you could be fining people forever. There's been talk about licensing owners uh, and that perhaps you'd get to a stage uh, where your license would be taken away and you wouldn't be allowed to own a pet, a dog. Yeah, listen, a responsible dog ownership, I suppose, that has fallen into it. So if, but it goes back to enforcement, Mike. It has to... Or to bring in, there's no point in bringing in rules if you don't have the resources there to enforce them. So it has to start with resources. That if you have the wardens on the ground that can enforce the, even the current regulations to where they're meant to be, that would be a huge step. And I think that needs to focus on both of Okay, we'll leave it there for the moment and thank you for joining us uh, this morning. Brian Rush is the Deputy President of uh, the Irish Farmers Association. Just going back uh, to the opening interview this morning, uh, some reaction to that uh, and uh, I think understandably uh, there's some uh, remarkable things said on the radio this morning. Margaret in touch with us saying that the Taoiseach should know that it's up to the HSE to fill consultant posts in Navin, not the hospital. Uh, and it's up to the government to tell the HSE that. What about what happened with the 11 patients who had to wait in the 11 ambulances for five hours outside of Our Lady of Lourdes on Saturday night? Is that what Meath and now Loud patients have to put up with? She says... As I said in another text to you, the HSE is playing Russian roulette with patients' lives in this region. It's a total disgrace. And for the HSE to put the onus on a paramedic to decide where to bring a patient is a scandal. They're not doctors and that burden shouldn't be put on them. Our health service is a total mess and patients will suffer as a result, says our caller, Margaret, a a regular caller at that. Thank you indeed, uh, Margaret. Uh, uh, 
WhatsApp message then from Siobhan Nifei who says well done to Padder he held uh, an amazing meeting in Navan this week strange how we have so many TDs in the Mead area none of them managed to turn up or organise someone from their party to be there our next election will sort out the good from the bad everyone needs to be out in force on Monday outside the hospital in Navan thanks Siobhan thank you indeed for your text Michael Michael Reed Reed on on LMFM. This day next week, uh, the Taoiseach will be clearing his desk because tomorrow week he's to hand the baton over to Leo Vradker, who will become uh, the next Taoiseach. It's all all a a little bit uh, unusual, not just that we have a rotating Tishi for the first time in Irish history, but the doll being recalled on Saturday of next week uh, to allow this uh, to happen. The reason for that is to allow Michal Martin to travel to Brussels at the end of next week for a European Council meeting. There should be a discussion of refugees on the agenda uh, for the European Council, but I can confirm actually, as, as, as the draft conclusions are at present, the issue of displaced persons from, from Ukraine, within Ukraine, outside Ukraine, is on the agenda as part of the Ukraine discussion. That's Minister of State Thomas Byrne, who will travel with uh, the Taoiseach uh, and, as you have heard, displaced people from Ukraine. And indeed, uh, the situation in Ukraine will be discussed when uh, the European leaders meet next week. Uh, I think the Irish Catholic bishops will be glad to hear that because they held uh, their winter conference this week and have reiterated the appeal from Pope Francis for an immediate end uh, to this conflict. Uh, let's speak to Bishop Michael Rooter, a Dundalk-based auxiliary bishop of the Archdiocese of Armagh and chairman of the Bishop's Council for Healthcare, as well as being vice president of Accord, the Catholic Marriage Care Service. Good morning to you, Bishop Rooter. Thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme uh, this morning. There seems to be no end in sight to this war, uh, a war which now seems to be a war on civilians uh, and a uh, weapon of war going into the winter appears to be the weather. Yeah, it's a, it's a really dreadful situation and we're fast approaching the worst time of the year uh, in Ukraine and in that part of the world uh, when it comes to freezing temperatures and heavy snow and all the rest. And, you know, we're approaching Christmas too and uh, it's usually a very joyful, very hope-filled uh, celebration. Uh, but for the people of Ukraine this year, it's full of uh, fear and deprivation. Um, as you say, civilians, and um, they have been weaponized in this war in the sense that there's been specific uh, targeted measures uh, from Putin to, to knock out their, their, their power system, their power grid, so that people will, will, will suffer from the, from the cold, um, which... Uh, is fatal effectively if people don't have the proper um, systems to 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 warm themselves. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's a dreadful situation. And as you say, uh, there doesn't seem to be any immediate end in sight, um, and perhaps won't happen uh, over the winter. So, yeah, the situation gets worse, and and probably the whole issue of of refugees as people try to escape the worst effects. Uh, of of the winter, there probably will be an increase uh, of refugees, um, particularly from the the eastern parts of of the Ukraine uh, over the next few months. Yeah. Yeah, I, we're all moved by it. Um, I think we were all moved uh, to see Pope Francis break down 
uh, and talk about it uh, brought to tears because uh, of just how inhumane the situation is. Yeah, there's just it's hard to believe that this is happening in 2022 on on mainland Europe uh, that that people could think of 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 such cruel ways to torture others uh, to to try and achieve um sort of ridiculous political uh, objectives and, and goals that that really have no meaning in t- in today's world and uh, you know it's just our hearts really as i say go out to the people of mm-hmm. ukraine and uh, go out to the people of ukraine who are here i think there are nearly 60,000 uh, Ukrainian refugees here in Ireland as well. Last Christmas, I'm very conscious of the fact that last Christmas, most of those people would not have thought for one minute that they would be spending Christmas here I- in Ireland uh, this year. Um, there was no indication last Christmas that uh, there would be such upheaval in their lives that mm. they would have to face such a terrible situation and to leave family, to leave home, uh, to leave their loved ones behind and to basically entrust themselves to 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 us and uh, to to our care uh, it just it's, it's unimaginable unimaginable yeah uh, and it should be so different I think actually the Pope summed that up uh, quite well didn't he he said Immaculate Virgin today I would have wanted to bring you the thanks of uh, the Ukrainian people instead once again I have to bring you the pleas of children of the elderly of fathers and mothers of the young people of that martyred land which is suffering so much. And we've seen such terrible stories coming out of Ukraine. Uh, The murder of a newborn, a 17-year-old. We heard stories of surgeons carrying open-heart surgery out on a a child using torches because there was no electricity, there's no heat, there's no light, there's no water in some circumstances, uh, and people are are being killed, it it seems, without a second thought. Yeah, it's... it's, um those stories are are just incredible. I mean, as I say, in 2022 on mainland Europe, we don't expect to hear that sort of thing. And um, as I say, our hearts go out to them. But it's not just a matter of of having sympathy for for Ukrainians. We have to continue, even though it is difficult in this difficult economical economic climate. Uh, we have to continue to try and support. Uh, and to help the Ukrainian people and the Irish people have responded remarkably well so far. I mean, we have to say uh, that um, we're well up there among uh, the the, sort of the top of the league table in a sense in terms of how we have have helped uh, so many people. I mean, the church held a a nationwide collection uh, last March, March the 27th, and four and a half million was raised in that collection. And uh, that money has been distributed uh, to help um, Trokra's uh, partners on the ground there, both in Ukraine and Poland, Caritas Ukraine, Caritas Poland. Uh, that money has been distributed to help them and to, to target those uh, who, who need the most assistance at this time uh, in Ukraine, of course, with a huge number of, of refugees in, in Poland as well. Uh, but also there's there's much being done here at home to uh, to assist the refugees that have arrived here uh, in Ireland. And uh, many people have given over space in their own homes, which is a, a huge sacrifice. They're really lovely people, though, aren't they? 
Oh, they're they're very good people. Yeah, yeah. they're, 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 they're yeah. very very good people, and and uh, I've met a number of them, not formally but informally, mm. at at various different uh, occasions, and uh, very intelligent, very um, well spoken, um, hard working people. Mm. You know, it's it's. Uh, it's just awful to think what, what you think what they're leaving no. behind, uh, and uh, it probably is no wonder that the response has been uh, as welcoming as it has been in this country because we're watching it every day on the television, uh, and it's unusual, I think, uh, because uh, there's been a lot of wars in the world, there's been a lot of conflicts. Uh, I mean, even with the Northern Ireland troubles, uh, there was a, a, a case of white noise for a lot of us at some stage that there was so much that you stopped hearing it uh, but yeah. I, I think you keep hearing what's happening in Ukraine hoping that there'll be some good news uh, and you keep watching it and you keep praying for all of uh, the people who are fleeing and that's why there's been such a, a warm welcome here uh, but there has been some protests of course uh, what do you make of those protests Bishop Bruter? Well, I, I think the protests are not anti-Ukrainian or anti-refugee as such. I think whatever there has been protests, uh, it has happened because maybe of a, of a lack of communication, maybe from from government about what what was planned in a particular uh, area, as such, and and people perhaps felt that they weren't consulted and maybe were felt a little bit overwhelmed with the numbers uh, that were arriving in their villages and, and towns or whatever. Uh, and so there was sort of a reaction, but it, it would be a protest against uh, maybe poor organisation and mm. poor communication, mm. not not against uh, refugees mm. per se. No, I, I think that's uh, right. Uh, there is then a, a very small minority, a sinister element uh, who's trying to exploit those concerns that people have uh, for far-right reasons. Does that concern you? Yeah, it does. I mean, it's a worrying aspect, I suppose, in many countries uh, throughout uh, Europe. Uh, Thankfully, uh, it has gained very little traction or purchase here uh, in Ireland uh, as such, and there really are a very, very tiny, tiny percentage. But unfortunately, all it takes is a a few people organised, 10 or 15 people, to, to create trouble, you know, and to create hassle. Um, and uh, but I, I don't think overall it's a, it's, a, it's a major problem in Ireland as such. Mm. There will be a few will exploit it, of course, to get across their their message. But uh, the, I don't think the the public opinion is on their side by any means. Mm. Well. You know, I, I think uh, as you go about your business today, Bishop, like me, uh, you'll meet people who will say it's very cold, isn't it? <laughs> because yeah. it is very cold. Yeah. Uh, but it pales into comparison to the temperatures uh, that they're seeing in Ukraine. Uh, it would be unusual yeah. to be minus 20, minus 25 in Ukraine and uh, to be living in those conditions without heat, light and so on. But then there's also the nuclear threat uh, and many reasons uh, for people to go on the move, uh, not just uh, the fact that their house is being blown up uh, but fear of a, a lot of these things and not being able to cope with uh, the conditions uh, that they're under. Uh, and it is no wonder that people are on the move and will continue to be on the move. Uh, and it is a, a tribute to uh, the Cade Meal of Falcha, isn't it, uh, that people are so welcoming here? Oh, yeah, yeah. I think, uh, I think there's a deep memory, a long memory there in, in Irish people of, uh, you know... Uh, we haven't to, to, to move to other countries um, as economic migrants, but also, say, after the famine, that so many people had to had to to leave Ireland in order to survive. 
and they were welcomed in various different countries around the world and and uh, they went on to make a huge uh, contribution to the uh, UK, to the USA, to Australia, to New Zealand, to Canada, wherever they, they arrived, you know. So mm. there's that memory, I think, there in, in the Irish people and, and we have a great empathy uh, with those who are forced uh, to, to move without, you know, no, no fault of their own, to move from their own country, from their own home place, uh, in order to survive, either economically or uh, just simply to, to save their lives. So I think that comes out time and time again in Irish people when we when we reach out to, to, to those who are, are suffering and are so generous in what we do to, to help. And, and there's other situations in the world as well, which we can't take our eye off either in the mm. uh, sort of the Horn of Africa and yeah. Somalia and mm. uh, parts of Kenya and uh, South Sudan mm. and mm. all that area, Ethiopia mm. as well. There's a, a huge crisis there. Yeah. There's four years now where the rains have, have failed and millions of people are just facing starvation there. And and, and the Ukraine war has had a, a, a knock-on effect there as well yeah. uh, in that they would have been one of the big consumers of, of Ukrainian um, wheat um, uh, as a food source and, and when that you know was no longer uh, exported and the, the Russians blockaded the exports that had a huge effect on people who are already uh, suffering terribly in our world and that's the problem all of these things have a knock-on effect and usually it's, the, it's those who are who are the weakest, uh, those who, who who are suffering the most deprivation in the world, that they continue to suffer even more, you know. And, and uh, it's one of the, the reasons uh, to, to try and to, to do everything we can to, um, to help those in need, but also to do what we can to put on whatever political pressure our government can put on as well, along with our European partners, to stop this war, to make Putin see sense uh, and uh, to withdraw his his troops from from Ukraine before, yeah. Well, uh, the world has put into any war. Uh, we, we focused uh, on Ukraine uh, this morning, but I, I know you and your fellow fellow bishops uh, when you met in Maynooth this week, uh, you spoke about the Horn of Africa. Indeed, many other issues, including safeguarding children in uh, the church, uh, the politics of Northern Ireland, or the lack of them, uh, for that matter, and many other issues uh, for that matter. But thank you, indeed, uh, Bishop Bruder, for joining us on the program this morning. Thank you. Thanks very much, Thank Michael. You indeed. Uh, that's uh, Bishop Michael Reuter in Dundalk. He's uh, the Auxiliary Bishop of the Archdiocese of Armagh. Michael, Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, like uh, the Bishop, uh, I'm sure all of us will meet people today who will say, it's very cold, is it? Isn't it? <laughs> because it is very cold. But if you're sitting at home listening to us uh, this morning, I hope that's not the case. I hope you're uh, inside uh, and well wrapped up and warm uh, this morning. Let's uh, speak now to Sean Moynihan, who is uh, the CEO of Alone. A very good morning to you, Sean, and thanks for joining us on uh, the programme uh, this morning. I-, I think that's the first and most important message to send out uh, to older people in particular today. Don't be afraid to put on the heat. The reality, I think you're absolutely right. I think the reality is is you've got to keep warm to keep well. Mm. And especially for older people and especially for people over 75 who might have underlying health conditions, um, it's really an important message. 
Right. Uh, and none of us are, are surprised by how cold it is. Uh, we got uh, enough warnings in, in advance and hopefully everybody is well stocked up at home for that matter. Absolutely. I suppose our message around this time is obviously to, for older people to make sure they've got adequate heat, medication and food. They're the basics. These cold snaps, lucky enough in Ireland, don't tend to last too long three or four days, do you know what I mean? Yeah. People can keep themselves well, keep themselves moving, keep themselves engaged, keep themselves supported, then ultimately, hopefully, this will pass. Yeah, uh, and uh, there's bits of snow here and there and ice, no doubt, uh, and uh, if it freezes again overnight, uh, as the days go on, if this uh, does continue for a few days, it'll get icy and footpaths and so on could get treacherous. Uh, you'd be concerned about people uh, uh, because of slips and falls. Absolutely. I think the reality is older people have been advocating an awful lot of challenges for the last couple of years from COVID to, infla- to inflation to the lack of home care, health care services, everything. And falls now is another another big thing because obviously people will know if they are pre-frail or frail or if they worry about it to take extra precaution. Because in older, later life, especially again over, if you're over 70, over 75, a break of a hip Sometimes people never quite get back to where they were or sometimes even can't return to living at home. So it's really important people uh, take care of themselves and manage the risks. All right. Well, that's where alone comes in, isn't it? Uh, Because people might be listening to us now saying, well, what do you expect me to do? I need to get me messages or, or whatever it is they need to go out for. Absolutely. And so the message is, if, if you have a concern or people can't, can't deal with something that they, they need at the moment in those important areas of food, medication and heat, please reach out to us or to other people within your own community that ultimately can, can help. For us at the moment, we're in sort of cold weather response, which means everybody who's connected to us, you know, all the volunteers are out visiting, all the staff are on the phones, everybody who's on our caseload, everybody who we know are ringing checking in, making sure everybody's all right, while at the same time we're here 12 hours a day, seven days a week, for anybody who needs to ring in to us. Because we do understand this is part of a wider energy problem and it's part of a wider um, challenges that older people are facing at the moment. Are you able to put a number on it? How many people would you be receiving calls from? Um, I don't have a number in front of me, but... but what I'd say to you is, is we, we will probably support around 12,000 12, people this year. Right. Uh, every week we, we make around 5,000 phone calls out. Well, I sometimes call get up, get dressed, get moving phone calls with people checking in. Yeah. Around 4,000 volunteers across the country visiting. And then on top of that, we have a network of staff placed in around 100 locations across the country. Mm. So we're never too far away from any community. And I, I take it uh, that some people are, are very happy to ring. They don't give it a second thought uh, and that those people possibly have called you before and uh, it's uh, such a wonderful service that they uh, don't think twice uh, about it but you say that some people are hesitant to call Oh, look, I mean, at the end of the day, is, is, you know, for an awful lot of people, and remember, when we have full employment, 97% of people work. So vast amount of retired people, the vast amount of older people. You know, a lot of people end up needing their help just because of some of the fractures that happen as you go get older. You retire, maybe, maybe a spouse or a partner passes away, maybe your health isn't as good as it once was, maybe a now down on a basic income that basically doesn't sustain your house or doesn't sustain your lifestyle or you're living in a, a, a house or renting a house with poor BER. So ultimately, as you end up needing our support, not because you didn't contribute all your life, just because these are the things that can happen to you as you age. Mm. 
Well, your message is uh, to people uh, to put the heat on, stay warm and stay well. If they would like help at home, uh, they can call you. Uh, the website is alone.ie. The phone number is 0818-222-024. That's 0818-222-024. Sean, thank you very much indeed for joining us this morning. Thanks for the opportunity. Take care. Thank Bye. you indeed. Sean Moynihan is uh, the CEO, CEO of Alone. Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. Well, that cost uh, the FAI €20,000. Let's speak uh, to Chief Sports Writer with uh, the Irish Sun, Neil O'Reardon. A very good morning to you, Neil, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on the programme uh, this morning. What exactly was the fine for? Um, well, it said basically, I can't remember the exact phrase, but it was uh, it was due to conduct, by, uh, not appropriate conduct, or some phrase like that used. Um, so there was an investigation launched after the, the footage of that came to light, after it was posted by one of the players. They were live-streaming a video from the dressing room. Um, you know, perhaps not aware that this this chance was going to be made. Um, I think it was a very spur-of-the-moment thing. Uh, obviously, it caused great upset in some quarters, and I guess you like felt that they had to be seen to, to act to launch an investigation and along with a, a raft of other kind of disciplinary decisions it was released yesterday by UEFA. Okay uh, and uh, the fine was accepted by the FAI? Yeah yeah I, mean, I think that was pretty clear from the outset like at the time um, both the association itself uh, the manager Vera Pau um, came out and, um, and kind of dealt with it head on and um, then, obviously, in the, in the statement yesterday, the FAI said that they would uh, they noted and accepted the decision and wouldn't be making any further comment. Okay, uh, what's uh, the reaction from fans been? Uh, it's kind of mixed. Uh, yesterday, actually, Anya O'Gorman, one of the Ireland players, she, she was doing um, a press conference for Shamrock Rovers, the club she's just joined, and she was kind of asked about it. And her attitude was, "Well, listen." We owned it when we came out, uh, when it happened, um, there was a mistake, we've, we've learned for it and we just wanted to put it, put it to bed now. Um, I guess, you know, any kind of money that's taken away from Irish football, it's not great. Uh, and y- you could, you could mm. argue to toss over, you know, the, the extent of the fine, like in, as I mentioned, those kind of raft of decisions made yesterday, I think Seville were fined 5,000 euro for racist chance by their fans. Um, in a, a Champions League game against Manchester City, you know, in simple terms, is that is that four times as bad? What the Ireland yeah. women think? I think it was pretty. I think it was a, almost a, a non-conscious thing that they were doing. I don't think they. I don't think anyone would could argue that it was they designed to like to express tacit support for for the provisional IRA. It was just a it's a Wolftown song which has this particular lyric in it. Um, Get sung probably very. Unthinkingly, um, but you know, obviously, there are people's sensitivities to consider, and that, that's that's where the action's been taken. Right, it's kind of uh, hard to understand, isn't it? Because it, it's not a band song, and it's as if they broke section thirty-one of the Broadcasting Act, going back uh, to the troubles uh, when uh, they used to have to put a voiceover on Jerry Adams and other members of Sinn Fein or anybody uh, who's associated with the Republican movement. Like it is problematic because you know after that uh, the sort of 
controversy came to light like you know the, it, it sh- the song shot up in the download charts to, number one wasn't it yeah, number one in Ireland yes yeah. but also like very prominently in Britain too and you know it's I guess you've got to be careful about how you know, to what extent can you police what people say I mean there was an issue um, with a, a footballer for, from playing for Larne up mm. north too who uh, a Scottish footballer who wore a, a t-shirt with a Republican slogan and you know he, he was facing yeah. a 10 match ban if he stayed within the, within the Irish League and you know there are I, I don't think anyone should be encouraged to set out to offend anyone but at the no. same time um, But they sang a song the victory uh, celebration I, I mean would they be fine if they sang we are the champions obviously not no, no, and again, like it's a very arbitrary kind of line to decide what's offensive and what's not. Um, so there is a kind, of, there is a yeah. kind of wider probably discussion to be had there. I heard, uh, I heard Derek Warfield of the Wolfstones actually talking about it at the time of uh, the controversy, and he said that uh, he does uh, be o- offended by uh, English football fans singing "God Save the Queen." Yeah, well, you can argue argue that, and uh, certainly I've, I've been in the company of England fans at a few tournaments where uh, I wouldn't particularly enjoy the company in terms of what they were seeing as well. Lots of World War Two references, um, so it, it happens. It's not. It's a hardly. It's not a unique situation. Um, and you know, the, like the song itself, like again, it's not obviously the the Wolf Tones themselves have their their own political views, but the actual lyric in the song is about graffiti on a wall. It's not again, it's not actually a tacit support of uh, the provisional IRA. So it is kind of a, it's a it's a complicated ground, and it you know to what extent do we want people kind of interfering in freedom of expression is another probably debate to be had. Mm, yeah, well, that's why I mentioned Section Thirty One. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, very interesting stuff all right anyway that brings uh, it uh, to a close I I take it uh, we won't be seeing any more videos along those lines and that uh, when the women are as successful and triumphant uh, as they were then they'll uh, enjoy it and we'll all enjoy it with them exactly yeah well uh, I mean Vera Pau did say that it wasn't just the fact that the video went out, it was the fact that they were maybe singing it in the first place and she didn't understand maybe the, the context or the sensitivities uh, for, as being Dutch, but she's probably a bit more on top of it now. And, you know, I think she she did, I think she dealt with the situation quite well, just about having a bit more consideration for how other people might feel. So I think she's come out of it quite well. OK, you're not suspicious, though, that uh, people saw it as an opportunity. Ah, well, listen, you know, people are, you know, <laughs> so, uh, yeah. it's just a shame that the, yeah. the achievement on the night was yeah. kind of overtaken by that, but sure. Yeah. So. Uh, that's the world we live in Neil thank you very much indeed much appreciated Neil O'Riordan is uh, the chief sports writer with the Irish Sun I think uh, we've said it four times already this morning but it's so cold out there probably no harm in saying it again it's very cold isn't it it froze again last night and the cold snap is set to go on through the weekend the cost of heating a home was high in October high in November In December, it looks like it might go through the roof. Many who haven't yet faced the choice of heating or eating will be facing it now. I hope so, or hope not. Uh, That's Mick Barry speaking in the Dáil yesterday. Uh, And uh, the concern is that you may not have that choice uh, because uh, there may not be uh, electricity. We were on the brink, it seems, during the week. Airgrid came close to issuing an amber alert yesterday. There are reports that an alert may not be avoidable in the coming days. This is not so much caused by the cold snap as it is by the energy supply feeding frenzy of the data centres. It is reported that talks have taken place this week 
between the government, ESB Networks and Airgrid. I'd like you to report to the House on these talks and give an assurance to the country that no household will face power cuts in the week ahead. Right, uh, that was People Before Profit TD. He was putting that question to the Tánaiste Leo Bradker. The government has been advised uh, by Airgrid and CRU that the system outlook for uh, energy supply for this winter is similar to last winter. And there will be periods when the margin between supply and demand uh, will be very tight. And we think that's particularly going to be the case uh, over the course of the next week or two uh, because temperatures are very cold uh, and the wind isn't very strong. And for that reason, demand for electricity is high, uh, but generating uh, capacity is, is stretched. Um, but I do want to say this and say it very clearly. Um, we did come close to an amber alert um, in the last couple of days. Uh, haven't had one since August, although that may well happen. Um, but an amber alert means that there is enough electricity available. Uh, it's when you get to a red alert that you get into a different scenario. That hasn't happened yet. Um, we can't guarantee that it's not going to happen. Um, but I do want to say this, uh, is that if we get to the point where there's a red alert, uh, where the demand for electricity outslips the amount we can, uh, outstretches the, the amount that we can generate, um, the first port of call uh, is to power down the large energy users, which are the data centres, that have their own backup electricity. Uh, so that's not the problem. Uh, and we're not going to see, um, we're not going to have a situation whereby um, the first call uh, is on homes or farms or small businesses. That will be way down the line. So I do want to reassure people um, that the likelihood of brownouts or blackouts affecting homes or farms or small businesses can't be ruled out, but is highly unlikely because in the unlikely event that we're short of power, it will be the large energy users, the data centres, that are instructed to turn on their own generating capacity, which they have and have to have. That's the uh, Tanisha Leo Vratker. Next week, he'll be the Taoiseach. That's our programme for this week. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme. That's at 9am on LMFM on Monday morning. See you then. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie LMFM Podcasts. With CNC Carpets, we bring the showroom to you. Or book a new showroom appointment on 87 660 4237. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.